Hello and welcome to the history of the Copts. Bonus episode 1. The flight of the Holy Family into Egypt. If you remember, when I first started this project in episode 0, I explicitly mentioned that my intent in telling the past was to build for the future. In that scene, today's episode is mostly written and produced by one of my incredibly smart and bright students in Sunday school, John Fahmy. John, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm John. I'm a second generation cop, and this topic is one of the things that interests me the most, and I'm looking forward to talking about it today. Very good, John. Now take it away, and I'll interrupt if needed. Okay. So before going to the story, I would like to highlight some important historical facts that is important to keep in mind as you listen. First, the Coptic Church takes great pride in the fact that Jesus took refuge in Egypt, and even until today, the landscape is filled with pilgrimage sites where supposedly the Holy Family had visited. From a historical point of view, there is a few written historical sources that attest to any of the sites, so it is mostly based on an oral tradition, with new sites added as recent in the last century. The earliest, and perhaps most important of these sources, is a manuscript named The Vision of Theophilus, which is presented as a work written by Pope Cyril V, retelling a vision in which his predecessor, Pope Theophilus, experienced in Upper Egypt, which is now a large monastery given the name in Mahara. But based on analysis of the multiple manuscripts that survived, historians see the work as written between the 11th and 15th century in Arabic, and attributed to Cyril and Theophilus for added legitimacy. Now, I would like to emphasize that the oral tradition could have extended prior to the written one. It's just we don't have any written evidence prior to the vision of Theophilus. Additionally, I would like to highlight the important role that pilgrimage sites served in Byzantine Egypt and later Islamic Egypt. First, they served as commercial hubs where a local community can meet and celebrate various local traditions. Secondly, they also stimulated trade and became valuable financial resource for struggling monastic communities under Islamic rule. Would you say that they they could have been used to Christianize pagan sites as well? It is hard to tell. We have several accounts of Christianizing pagan sites by building a church or a monastery, but nothing concrete one way or another when it comes to the Holy Family sites. Anyway, to give you a brief biblical background, shortly before Jesus was born, Augustus issued a decree that all men should return to their hometown for a census, which led St. Joseph and St. Mary to go to Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. The story then goes on, and Herod finds out through the wise men and decides to find the newborn king and kill him. So St. Joseph was warned by an angel in the dream and told to flee to Egypt. This ends the biblical account and begins our story of the flight of the Holy Family into Egypt. In the Coptic tradition, The group who traveled included St. Joseph, St. Mary, Jesus, and St. Mary's cousin named Salome. Okay, so to help our listeners, we were able to find a map that outlines some of these sites. Now, it's important to note that the map is just a modern outline and based on the oral tradition. So the map is not well-sourced academically and has a lot of sites that is not mentioned in the vision of Saphilus. Either way, I have posted it on the podcast Facebook page for reference, and it's probably going to make your journey a little bit easier as you read. The first place visited by the Holy Family in Egypt was Pelusium, an important city in Roman Egypt and a major seaport on the typical caravan route from Palestine. 
The Holy Family enter, entered the Nile Delta through Wadi Tumala. They passed through Pithom and Tum. The Holy Family then came to the city of Basata, which is two kilom kilometers southwest of the modern-day city Zazik. Basata is the first city in the Delta that the Holy Family stayed in. The inhabitants of the city, however, did not accept the Holy Family, despite their discovery of a spring of water which became a source of healing for many, except for the inhabitants of Basata. Now, there is also a, an interesting story of two sieves that was mentioned in the story of Seophilus. Right, John? Yes, but for now, since they lost the family, but they, they will appear again in, later in our story. Sounds good. Since we didn't get to the 11th or 15th century yet in our podcast, I would like to go briefly over some of the religious sentiments of the Copts during the period where the tradition was written. Egypt was increasingly being Arabized starting in the 10th century, and its Muslim rulers were actively playing the various religious groups living in Egypt against each other as a policy of divide and rule. As a result of that policy, any general Christian hostility toward Judaism in the wider medieval Middle East, in the story of the Seves, we can detect both nationalistic feeling and anti-Jewish sentiments. But I'll let you finish um, when you get to their story, John. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely an interesting story, and we will see it shortly. The Holy Family then came to the city of Bilbase. Tradition holds that when the family entered the city, a funeral procession was coming out. Jesus, about two, year old, two years old at the time, had compassion and healed the dead man, who was the son of a widow. And because of this miracle, everyone in the city believed that he was truly the Messiah. After this, the Holy Family came to Wedil Natrun. When they came to Wedil Natrun, Jesus said to St. Mary, Know, O my mother, that in this desert there shall live many monks, ascetics, and spiritual fighters, and they shall serve God like angels. Today, Wedil Natrun has four monasteries, and many great saints came out of these monasteries. Indeed, since the time of St. Anthony in the 4th century, Sikidis, or Wedil Natrun, has been a vital mon monastic center. Then they proceeded to Matareya. At this place, Jesus dug a well with his divine hands, and out of that well came very sweet water. Also at Matareya, St. Mary sat under a palm tree. Jesus commanded the palm tree to give his mother some of its fruit. It then came down low and gave St. Mary the fruit she wanted. Then he told it to go back up and give them the water that was stuck under its roots. And then a spring appeared, and they all drank from it. This tree fell in 1906 but the spring still exists. A while after this, the Holy Family passed by the pyramids of Giza. About 12 kilometers south of Cairo, in a city called Al-Mahadi, there was a synagogue which the Holy Family attended, and then they met some sailors who offered to take them south to Upper Egypt. When the Holy Family arrived in Al-Bahnasa, a city in Upper Egypt, they, told Jesus, they took Jesus to school. When the teacher at the school saw how smart Jesus was, he said that Jesus was given wisdom by God and that he does not need a teacher. Al-Bahnasa was one of the biggest cities in Egypt. Its Roman name was Oxyrenicus. It yielded to historians a great amount of information and manuscripts. Most of the information that we have about Roman Egypt is actually from there. So anything below Oxyrenicus can be considered Upper Egypt just to keep our listener oriented. The Holy Family then continued to the modern-day city of El Qusayya. As Jesus entered into this city, idols fell and crashed to the ground. The priests of these idols chased them, and they fled. 
When they had reached a safe distance, Jesus turned around and cursed the city, saying, Let its people be in a state, be in, in a state lower than all the other people, and let them be more lowly and more suppressed than all the other inhabitants of the land of Egypt. After this, the two thieves from Basata appear in our story again. One of the thieves was an Egyptian, and the other was a Jew. Both of them came to the Holy Family and stole their clothes. The story then says that when the Egyptian saw St. Mary crying, he told the Jew that he did not want to leave the family in this state. However, the Jewish thief disagreed. The Egyptian then told his fellow thief to give him his share of the robes. He did so, and the Egyptian thief gave his share back to the Holy Family. When Jesus had put his clothes back on, he said to his mother, O Mary, the Jews will crucify me in Jerusalem, and these two brigands whom you see, one of them will be crucified on my right hand and the other on my left. The Egyptian will be crucified on my right hand and the Jew on my left, and the brigand who has returned our garments will confess to me and believe in me on the cross, and he will be the first to enter into paradise. Interesting. So the thief that was crucified on the cross and asked to be remembered in paradise was the same one who robbed and didn't return the clothes of the Holy Family, and he was an Egyptian. Yes, according to the vision of Theophilus anyway, which, as we already established, is an apocryphal book from medieval Egypt. So just to clarify to our listeners, the modern Coptic Church, while it respects the oral tradition, as far as I can tell, it does not necessarily insist on its authenticity. True. For their final stop, the Holy Family came to Asyut, and what is now the Monastery of St. Mary, known as El Mahara. They stayed there for about six to twelve months, until an angel appeared in a dream to St. Joseph, saying that Herod was dead and that it was safe to return to Palestine, after which they returned to Nazareth in Galilee. The story of the flight of the Holy Family into Egypt is a significant and interesting story. While not necessarily historically verifiable, it is nonetheless a source of pride to the Copts and an ancient memorial of various traditions. It is also a wonderful itinerary for a trip in Egypt for some day. Thank you, John, for the wonderful podcast. Next week, we'll resume with our usual podcast schedule. And as always, I'm open for feedback and farewell. And until next week.